Uh, so you want me to oh, like do again? Welcome to the podcast, and there's going to yeah, be a two-parter. All right, this is TGE, the podcast, episode 46. This is the second part you've been waiting for. If you've been listening previously, we're leading up to Too Old to Die Young. I'm here with Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Hey, Sven. Sven's in beautiful Hawaii right now, drinking up the rays, appreciating us kind of block recording some episodes before he left. And we're appreciating all the listeners. If you enjoy what you are hearing, please subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And sorry, I thought it was the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we just recorded two in a row, so I almost just said uh, thank you to Curter for the music. Happy editing. He does have a new album out. Yeah, and so, <laughs> happy editing. So, so Sven, so now we're kind of getting, getting to the meat of it, talking about too old to die young. And at this point... It's a couple of weeks out, so I'm very excited because I feel like this is a dormant cell of filmmaking that is just kind of be going to be growing in conversation. And I think we're going to be just barely kind of catching the wave if this did drop last week, but it's going to drop when it is right now. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of conversation surrounding it at that point. I currently, at the time of viewing this, I'm halfway through the final episode, which puts me in a weird place, but I couldn't imagine a better place to start talking about it, where there's just still like a little a little question mark left as to how this, where this could possibly go from where I am. And yeah, so we're, so sorry, we're not going to be totally up to speed on whatever, you know, the current debate is about it, but I've seen a couple articles about it and stuff like that at this point, which is a couple weeks ago, I guess, or a week ago for us listening right now that I will be addressing. Well, my take is going to be a little bit different because I've only seen the pilot and I have a lot of questions and it, it's, <laughs> but uh, for what we're going to be talking about, I think it's going to be interesting because we're really just going to focus on the opening and how to set up a character and how this is different from what usually happens in La La Land. Well, that's that's what Sven's going to be focusing on. Okay, do you have other I don't know, things you're going to talk? About? I don't know. I don't know where I'll go, Sven. Okay. And it's I think important also for us to point out that with this particular show, Nicholas Wending Refn actually premiered episodes four and five at the Cannes Film Festival, which I didn't realize till after seeing episodes four and five, and was like, oh, holy shit! So he made a conscious choice not to premiere <laughs> the first episode or the first two episodes or the first three episodes. Yeah, so th so that's very interesting. And I think just there's so much to talk about with this show. And just a little background on who Nicholas Wending Refn is, for those that aren't familiar with his work, he is the director of the Pusher Trilogy, which is, I think, I mean, his, <laughs> the trailer for it says it's the greatest tragedy to come out of Denmark since Hamlet, which I think is hilarious, but I also think that trilogy is just utterly brilliant in terms of what he did with it. There's sort of like a natural style yet incredibly heightened aspect to it. And then this is kind of the result of that filmmaker who then he also did Bronson with Tom Hardy, which I sometimes forget about, which is utterly amazing. He Mads Mikkelsen was in 
the Pusher trilogy, but he was also in, I forget the name of it, and that's bad, but it's, I feel like it's called Valhalla or something like that, where he's playing a Viking, which is very outside the box. And Wending Refn's interesting in the conversations I've had about him, because a, people very much like very different movies of his. Like, some people that like some other stuff really won't like the Valhalla film, I'm calling it. Like, I really love Bronson, and I'm less into the the Viking one. And then he did Drive, of course, which put him on the international stage. He had all the pull in the world and followed it up with Only God Forgives, which was a guy who, okay, is not afraid to experiment. And I will also add that I was a big enough appreciator and fan of his work that I saw Fear the X, the very odd movie he did with Torturo. Um, sort of in, in the American film system before he ran back to Denmark for, for freedom, which it seems like he wanted on this. He also followed Only God Forgives with uh, Neon Demon, which I have yet to see just because Only God Forgives was so oddly off-putting to me. I was like, no, dude. And to me, I kind of feel like if you keep going on this one, too old to die young, he has possibly found his balance. But there's going to be a lot of people talking about it, so we're happy to get in on the conversation and maybe bring your attention to it. Last thing, it's also the first movie we're going to be doing where we're going to be watching the clip actually on Amazon Prime. Yes. Not to drive you to it, but just because we don't, we can't find anything on YouTube. We did find... Except for a ton of spoilers. Yeah. I'm halfway... Th- don't look at clips on YouTube because I'm halfway through the last episode right now, and I saw spoilers, like thumbnails and titles of clips, where I was like, really? Why would you do that? Like, that's jacked up. So avoid YouTube at all costs because there are some major spoilers on there. Well, there's one link that I think we should include, which does sort of show half of the opening that I'd like to talk about today, uh, just the first part. But I think you really need the second part as well to understand what's going on. So that's why I said, can we just go on Prime and watch it there so we can really see the context? And there's a third part. Like, if we wanted to make this a two-hour podcast... uh, like the first 18 minutes in its own is so <laughs> so interesting what is going on in terms of setting up a show a character and uh, we're going to get into it we're going to get into the miles teller character and what's going on there i also can't wait because there's i know from getting further into it that there's like a whole aspect of this that you're not yeah you're not even i know i'm, able to I'm totally aware that we have no clue what his deal is like there is no telling whatsoever what what is going on but the way that we're slowly being led into this guy is not quite right like you're you're kind of wanting to root for him and he's supposed to be the one that's going to save the day in at least in the opening and he clearly doesn't anyway well that that's one of the many things that I think is interesting about exactly the, I think the artistic intention of, of this yeah. series, yeah. which he calls a 10 hour film. And it's, that's a classic noir thing, yeah. right? Not to the extent, and obviously star is born. So noir, is this actually a, a <laughs> neo noir film? Like would this qualify? Because I'm not well, sure. Well, it's playing. If you, yeah, I mean, I think it's in like, yeah, redefining the style. Cause one moral ambiguity, is this person good or bad? Okay. That's a classic that's a classic noir trait, right? Yeah. He's it a law enforcement looks officer. Like, it. like the stylistically. He's stoic. It's highly stylized. I mean, in in its own way. So it definitely is is preying on noir stuff. In the same way it's having a lot of fun and, and preying on I think concepts of episodic television. And 
someone sent me an article the other day. I didn't read it, but it's interesting because it said like what happens when you give filmmakers free reign or no discipline or something like that. And after only God forgives and knowing like what Refn's capable of in going full ref. And again, a lot of people love only God forgives and cool. Great for them. Obviously there's a lot of interesting stuff about it, but this to me, in terms of how indulgent it was and the things I think you're going to say you had problems with Sven in terms of like, you know, the main character not speaking though being in every scene with only one other person for 12 minutes. Um, I love that. (laughs) It does. So it's like you have to enjoy an audience being a little bit fucked with. Yeah. So that's you know why I could get behind. It reminds me a lot of Twin Peaks, The Return. But in terms of when Ruffin's gone fully off the rails, quote unquote, before, it definitely has an element of discipline, especially at the end in terms of servicing what's needed for an episodic drama that I was blown away by. Like it's hitting all the checkboxes. You're developing different characters you're setting a central mystery you're leaving a huge door hanging open at the end of the episode and the way that it kind of continues in doing that stuff throughout i think is very disciplined and it wasn't till deep in it that i it had a very like graphic novel feel to me and because amazon with this show and i'm very interested in Sorry for like babbling so much, but <laughs> although it is a podcast, I'm very interested in listeners' reaction to this because I've never seen a show that so quickly on Amazon rushes the next episode onto you because I think they're if they get you to the end, they're like, get the next one going, get the next one going, like keep them in. I feel like it's one eighth of the time you usually have for that little wheel to spin and the next episode to pop up. So I was kind of like surprised at some of it, especially later on, of how how disciplined it is in terms of of story that's being laid out for how outside the box and wild it is. And then, and it had a very graphic novel feel to me in terms of just these long shots with nothing really going on and then sparse dialogue. And then, of course, it turns out that the guy writing it with him is, in fact, a comic book author. Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker. Yeah. Yeah, who's done, he did like Captain America uh, Winter Soldier and a lot, a lot of like interesting stuff. So cool. I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird pairing, and and obviously like a lot of explorations of weird ways violence can happen and all that stuff. And it was a ten month shoot, and as crazy as it is, there's no way you can look at any of these shots and not say that considerable thought went into every single frame Absolutely. of it. Though that said, I thought the movie Climax was entirely mapped out. The late Gaspar No film, the latest Gaspar No yes. film, he didn't die. And it turns out it was like an improvised thing, which which blows my mind completely. So who knows? Anyways, that's my rant about this. Let's do a quick setup for the listeners who haven't seen the show. Too Old to Die Young is an American crime drama web television series written by Nicholas Winding Ruffin and Ed Brubaker <laughs> and starring Miles Teller and Augusto Aguera. It premiered on Amazon Video and John Hawks on June Jenna Malone. 14th, 2019. Sorry. Too Old to Die Young follows a grieving police officer who, along with the man who shot his partner, finds himself in an underworld filled with working class <laughs> hitmen, Yakuza soldiers, cartel assassins sent from Mexico, Russian mafia captains, and gangs of teenage killers. There you go. That is the weirdest, kind of most off-base synopsis I've ever heard. Oh, okay. Do your version. Grieving? Grieving, yeah. What? About his partner? <laughs> Did they watch it? All right. I was like, who, what is he grieving? Who died in his life? And then kind of realized, then you said the partner. I was like, really? Okay. 
Okay. Well, I mean, that's what happened in the He's first teaming up with the minutes, guy that shot right? the partner. I think <laughs> it's a true. good setup for what we're about to see, um, because there's something we're not about to see, and we're going to have to spoil it. I think. Sure, I don't know what you're talking about, but I mean the first episode. And Sven, what was so? What's your? Who's the editor of this? There are two editors: Annie Guides, <laughs> Guides, and Matthew Newman. So this thing. So I was originally watching it. I'm curious your reaction. But I was originally watching it, especially the first few episodes, thinking, "Oh, we got to re-edit this into a two-hour movie." Yeah. But <laughs> as it goes, there are there's a lot of like space in this. But as it goes, there are scenes. Where it's like, what? Like, how? Oh, we didn't even mention Billy Baldwin's in it. There are scenes that are just, just these fully realized, like, reffing scenes that just play as these total individual things. I don't know. I think it's a fun way to kind of explore with the way the boundaries can be pushed and stuff like that. But what, what was your reaction, Sven? I'm very curious. My reaction is that Matthew Newman is the editor of Drive, The Neon Demon, Valhalla Rising, was it? Uh, and Cicero, oh, yeah. Day of the Soldado. Well, my reaction... Sicario. Sic- Sicario? Okay, good. Sicario, the day <laughs> of the soldado. Okay. <laughs> well, I was very, very intrigued. I, I think, before I say what my reaction is, I think we should see the scene, because I'm going to tell you what's going, what I'm feeling as okay. as we go through it. Okay. So we're watching on Amazon Prime, and so I think this is going to be a little dependent on which weird ad we get before it begins. Yeah, there's going to be... <laughs> so I'll get a different one. Yeah, it's going to be like there's going to be some disclaimers and stuff. I think we should pick it up at 17 seconds of the stream. That's really when the film starts. Does the stream start at zero, or does it include the ad in that? Uh, it doesn't have an ad. It just has like the uh, the director's gotcha, gotcha. like weird hashtag, right. and then it <laughs> right. has... a. Uh, the um, disclaimer that there's nudity and violence and language and adult content. Yeah, there's a lot of disclaimers to make you think he's lost his mind in this. But then a lot of things where it's like, maybe he didn't. So we'll see if we can determine as we go. And by w- NWR is pretty big cry for insanity. Yeah. So I'm starting at 17. Is that cool with you? So it's that uh, mural on the wall. It's the first shot. Got it. And we're starting. And what we usually do in this podcast is we'll include a link of a scene that we're discussing. We're going to watch it through one time. And then we go back and analyze in more detail what the editing, the storytelling is here. So if you have Amazon, we recommend that you actually go on your Amazon account and watch the episode there. Or we'll include a link of a YouTube clip that shows you the first part of it. And here you'll get to see or get to listen in on more. Cool. Here we go. Three, two, one, click. <laughs> so I just want to say at the start of this that I texted uh, our friend last night and said, I just, and this is true, had my had my computer paused for 30 seconds sitting in front of it because I was watching Too Old to Die Young and didn't realize it was paused. I just sat there kind of looking at it for 30 seconds. I was like, oh, is it not playing? Uh, So anyways, it's a long tracking shot. Exactly. And this is going to be different. Like, we have time to explain things here because nothing is moving (laughs) fast. We have time for anecdotes. (laughs) In this movie. So the camera pans over from the mural, which is clearly, it feels like L.A. to me. Uh, some like Los Feliz, uh, Highland Park kind of neighborhood um, across a, lot a police of this car. Stuff is, 
Yeah. A lot of this stuff is filmed in notable L.A. Uh, locations, which is cool. So the first person we see is Miles Teller's character. Yeah, which tells us he must be the main guy, right? It should. But then we see his partner. Then we see his partner. Who has his face is a little more obscured at the start. Yeah. He's, he's, Miles is standing next to the cop car. We're now on a single on him pulling out again. Yeah. So it's a close-up. And this is important because Sven has overlooked this, which as as you should, because I didn't even realize it until we rewatched it. But look at the only other person that gets a close up in this is I have no overlooked this besides Miles. Yeah, no. So oh, you did. Yeah. So then we cut to another car, and there's like reflections on. It feels like it feels like a standoff to me, like they're watching each other. I don't know if that's really what's happening but we're having so much time like the, the camera is moving across the hood of this car panning over soft focus all right so we're panning we're panning across these storefronts we're getting a real sense of the visual sensibility of the world they're in of just these bright bright highlights and neons that are breaking up the darkness and they're really far away so this guy is watching the cops but it's kind of a subtle thing and i don't know if it's a big spoiler to say that there's well because i guess a lot of that was the fun fun for me the fun of discovery of character and stuff like that but there's a reason that you go from one character it's close up to the next character's close up yes and then insert shot of a phone that is a flip phone so now i'm thinking okay we must be somewhere in the 2000, early 2000, or... Yeah, I guess I never thought about that, where... I think I'm not the killer, man. When it takes place, because it does kind of have that timeless aspect, and yet it feels incredibly modern in terms of the stuff they're saying. She's going to ruin my life. Yeah. I know later there's a guy who I think starts ranting... She keeps calling my wife, hanging up. Make America great again. I don't know, it feels very contemporary. Threatening to go see her. In terms of some of the stuff it's taking on. I caught her in my front yard watching my kids the other day. But, yeah, it has a, it's like this weird, ambiguous, timeless quality. And it has all those noir things of kind of like, is this a purgatory? She has a lack of empathy, man. But still. It's surreal. And then this guy just starts talking. I don't know, he's just talking about the affair that he's having and... Last time I got caught fucking around on my wife, she took the kids to her mom's for a month. I guess he, in an interesting way, he's discussing his morality. We're good now. Sleeping in the same bed. He's literally having a conversation about right and wrong. Still, I just can't stay away from Amanda, man. You get it. And saying to tell her, you understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How, how it's hard to do the right thing, how you have to do the bad thing. Her dying is the only way this is going to end. You don't notice it, but that really is, like you point out, so that's the entirety, kind of, of... Lord knows I can't stop. A huge theme and thread throughout this entire series is that... You'll see. Uh, ...question of morality. Believe me. Which is, again, like a major noir theme. It's like we're not even in control of our own lives. So it's not as random as it seems. They are. Women. You know, it's not random at all if you really get into to the nitty-gritty nitty of it. The ultimate evil 
Yeah, and at this point, I'm thinking, okay, so I guess Miles is along for the ride, but he must be disapproving of this. His partner is telling him, "You understand, right?" Miles doesn't respond, so I'm like, okay, he's like, he's got this bad partner, bad cop, and he doesn't know how to handle this. This is what I'm thinking is happening right now. The good guy okay. that is like stuck in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he has that young boyish kind of protagonist thing. Yeah, little whiplash energy. All right, then they drive and off. We just keep, and then we go into yeah. the title sequence. And we're going back to this random dude where we don't know. Is that just providing atmosphere? Is he watching them? And the way the titles are used throughout this is like crazy. There's an episode later on where the titles come in 20 minutes in. <laughs> That's great. And I'm just going to say the only kind of like tease I'll give to inspire you to maybe watch further is that if this show had no discipline, then it would not be able to have an entirely new take, maybe the greatest take ever on the Hitman scene. Um, <laughs> no way to approach that unless it's stolen for something else. It's in this totally brilliant episode that uh, then the titles come in 20 minutes into it uh, much later on. So we're following the guys. Yeah, so this is as far as we should take it, right? I mean, there is another scene right. following after this opening title sequence that then gives you another clue about this character. And I don't, I'm not sure whether we should reveal it or not. But it's a comp. But does it matter? I just kind of feel like we can keep talking as it's playing. Cause it's so, <laughs> well, I, cause unfortunately, I, think I stopped, so I don't know where you had. Oh, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at 652. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's not like it needs to sync up. Um, but I think that I'm just letting it keep going because it doesn't matter. And, you know, he's in this actually scene does end up becoming important later in a really in the weirdest possible. You can imagine the weirdest way that this scene could end up being important later. And you haven't imagined weird enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll just say that. But the other thing that's kind of crazy about this is how how off putting it is. And that's why I'm curious what your reaction to it was, Sven. But my, my, my feeling from what you said is that obviously it was very slow. Full disclosure from me, I didn't really watch it. I just kind of played it in the background, did other stuff, would check in every five or six <laughs> minutes, hear the line of dialogue, see the shot, go on with my life. And then now by episode 10, I'm, I'm fully watching it because my mind is blown entirely inside out. And there's... I promise you, there's crazy enough scenes in this. Like, what's up with his walk at at <laughs> 7:55? Like, there's just this is just a tapestry of so many things. It's it's like it's like mixing, you know. It's like when they when they have like a thing at Dairy Queen where you're like, wait, why did they what? You put an entire Heath bar in, in there and Skittles, like and ice cream. What's happening? Oh my God! See, now I just realized who this woman is. Holy crap! Yeah, so I think what's going to happen is this show is either completely <laughs> completely crazy and disciplineless and nuts or it's designed in such a way where you have to earn it and the first few episodes are super slow and weird but it keeps escalating or they figured it out as they went because it becomes much tighter going on and somehow the drama does add through the whole thing. So you can't say it's undisciplined and there are things paying off that I didn't realize. And I think what's going to happen is I'm going to have to go rewatch this whole damn 
thing and actually pay attention. That's that's my take right Sorry. now. Yes. If it catches on and it gets into the ether, because I only want to watch something like this if I can talk about it. So I had a little bit of an opposite experience. Like I was glued to the first twenty minutes, Ooh. and partially it was because um, they built up this bad guy character in a way that it was almost unbearable. Like I was like, this this is just <laughs> bad. And it's getting worse and worse. And, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but within that 18 minutes, you actually get some relief from this. And that made me like, okay, this is awesome. And But the, the one thing that, that carried over is this Miles Teller character. It's like you don't know what his deal is. Like mm -hmm. in that next scene that we are not showing – you would have expected him to react one way and then he clearly doesn't he like he he doesn't do nothing he does the opposite right. of what you want him to do and now you're like oh i thought you're going to like help us out and you don't and so i thought it was a really really interesting way of setting up your main character and leaving it really open to what his deal is I haven't. I can't remember a show where I felt this confused and intrigued and disturbed at the same time about the main character. Whether I'm actually willing to to go along with him, that was my experience. Well, that's also, yeah, but that's kind of the anti-hero thing and like a major trope that they're playing with within it. Yeah, and like almost to the point of having fun. And I was joking with you when you said, "Yeah, ten minutes in, and I don't know where we stand on Miles." Yeah. You said 10 in and I don't know where to stand. And I said, yeah, it took me eight hours. Oh, oh, you mean 10 minutes? <laughs> so <laughs> so just wait, Sven. Yeah. I'm still watching it. Like, it's fully happening. And I'm <laughs> yeah. just as a... And then later on, as so, I was watching the rest of the episode, then I realized, oh, you know what? I can actually check my Twitter or do other things while this runs in the totally. background. And it's, I'm still keeping up with what's going on because it's uh, and i can't yeah. tell if that's the conceit of the show if that's like the whole hashtag thing if it's made for that culture where it's like because it seems very indulgent and very much like there's a lot of space that doesn't need to be there especially in the beginning but then i feel like later on there's some stuff that hangs where you're like oh i guess i'm just staring at this because what's happening i mean the performances the stuff the actors go through and then also at the be episode three you know, for the John Hawks fans, episode three, John Hawks comes in and you really get a different experience when it's an actor like that who's been through the ropes far more, you know, than a lot of the younger actors. Just the the vibe that the cinematography and everything has filming him is, I mean, it's it's a, it's 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 an experience worth holding in there for. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm just curious. I'm curious how people hang into it because you know, Sven, our friend Mario. I couldn't believe he like mentioned oh, something boy. from like episode six. I was like, oh, you get you got there. And episode four and five, the ones he showed. Episode five has maybe the most disturbing kind of mentally disturbing thing I've I haven't been able to get on my head in in a long while. So yeah, you can <laughs> look forward to that. So let's talk a little bit about the editing of this. Do you have why? Do you have a take on it? <laughs> the editing? I guess it's to take anything from this in terms of editing. Just give it to him. 
it's it's a great example I think of, and it's stuff we saw that they were toying with a little bit. Uh, you know, I know Thelma Shoemaker when they did Wolf of Wall Street, she was really trying to make a change in terms of look, everyone expects Marty's thing to be fast. We're going to hold it really slow because it was very influential that style of editing from like a lot of the Scorsese movies, some some fast stuff here and there. I felt like that was reflected in The Master. I, I feel like there's a few filmmakers that are really making a point of trying to hold on stuff and having right. kind of the beauty of like these longer shots go on. So. I think it's a really good example of that, especially when they really get it figured out and dialed in, of how, you know, you can kind of experience an entire off-screen character by holding on another character if it's done in the right way. So to arrive at this stuff, I mean, sure, maybe it's super lazy, or maybe there's a lot of discipline and study and, and thought that goes into it. So I'm not quite sure how you, you know when you've established this pace, like how do you determine when to make a cut? Cause none of it's being done for matching or continuity. Mm-hmm. It feels to me as if it's very deliberate that they're not cutting when they're cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, everything has a purpose. So I don't think it's a lack of discipline. Is that what you said? Or laziness? Well, I being kind of an asshole, I said that, but I also mean, I also don't feel like at the same time that there's not coverage. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, especially later, that there's a lot of stuff where it's like, there's no way that they don't have the medium and the close-up on this, but we just held on the master for six minutes, and it's perfect. Like, it's absolutely perfect. And I don't know. How are you getting at that? How on set are you, you know, I don't know, just trusting that and then having it work so well? Do you need music and sound to help ground it? Like, what the heck? Yeah, I think it is a director that is an auteur. Like, he does everything, feels to me. Like, he understands camera, he understands editing, he understands music. Mm. And the the opening mm-hmm. shot, the way that it, the reason why I think it works and keeps you engaged is the music, actually. I think the music mm-hmm. is really, like, it's kind of that drony thing, but it also has, like, some some bangs in there whenever you need to. Like, it's just, like, swooping over the hood of the car. And then the music mm-hmm. is making this shot that we can actually endure it. Yeah. It's because and visually we're not getting engaged all that much. There's not a whole lot of new information being revealed per second. Right. And likewise, I think we've talked about this a little bit with Revenge, and I think we talked about it with Lynch, but it's a director who has, who clearly has a full understanding of all the stuff you just said. Yeah. You can't like you and I. It, this is the tough thing when like a movie like this or Tree of Life or Birdman comes out. You know when you have film students and stuff, because then every film student's like, "Oh, I'll just do that thing," because yeah. it seems so easy. Like I'll just have some voiceover and get some footage of some fucking plants, or hey, we'll just do one shot, right? Like Birdman, but it's so disciplined and so hard to pull off. I think it's <laughs> stuff like this becomes troublesome because you think that it's. Uh, a lot easier than it is and he has such a full grasp of it yeah so it really obviously to a huge extent is someone experimenting and kind of pushing that stuff so it's it's i mean a great study in that regard well it works and he can pull it off because he creates tension so there is mm-hmm. so much conflict there with so little happening like it's just a couple of lines of the actors and you know so like this guy is nuts i've been saving that 
Yeah, for you. Where? You'll see. Right. He's just basically <laughs> proclaiming that he's going to murder somebody. And you would assume our main character is going to prevent that from happening. None of this actually matters <laughs> for, for the film. Um, but it creates this tension where you can just let it hang there and let us sort of just hang in, the, right. in, in, this, in this dreary atmosphere. And it has all these dramatic things. Like it has this RoboCop, or not RoboCop, uh, what is it? Like, but, uh, what's the, I forget what the famous cop movie is where the partner gets killed in the beginning. Like it has all the tropes. And then, I don't know, if you want to understand Refn's style versus, you know, Cap the Marvel style, this location in North Hollywood's the same place they filmed a bunch of stuff in Captain Marvel where the blockbuster is. So you can compare his take on it to theirs. Um, and there's just so much stuff that's been filmed in all these, so many cop stuff that's been filmed in all these locations around LA. So that's fun too. But yeah, there are total like tropes of the genre that are being played with and subverted. So, you know, it's not by accident and there are dramatic plot points that are keeping you engaged. Yeah. So, but we could re-edit it. This could be 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to. Let's not, let's not BS ourselves. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it like this. I don't have that I'm at, skill. I'm at 18 minutes and 28. And I'm, I'm, we should have just done the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> we should just keep that running in the background. Yeah, for the rest of the year. Uh, yeah, but you're right. There's all these. Yeah, it's playing with your expectations. It's setting this up. It's taking it away. And then, I don't know, just like these great, crazy, compelling visuals. Uh but I don't know, it's a good study, and I think it'll be fun to interact with and come back to on the comment boards and stuff like that, see what reaction people are having to it, because there's so much nuance to be dissected and discovered here, and really brilliant stuff going on in terms of someone who's mastered the form, kind of just horsing around with it. Yeah. But then again, he is also fully colorblind. Really? Which is where a lot of fun of his... He's like, that's why there's so much red in my stuff, because I can't see red, and I keep asking for more. So that's, oh. I mean, that's fascinating and empowering to filmmakers too to realize. Oh, wait, this guy literally has, you know. So he uh, sees a little a red, or he sees no red. Do you know? He has trouble seeing red. Okay. So who knows? You know what he's actually seeing. But that's such a cool thing in terms of the experience of film. Also, to know such an accomplished auteur is really just kind of making something for themselves in a weird way. Yeah. And the cool effect that has on us. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the grade on this on film it? is amazing, or oh, on this series, like every everything he like drive and so on. It has a very unique feel to it. Yeah, and it's Thomas Newton Siegel shot drive, and drive was shot on an RE two, which is like one of the great arguments for digital. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna yeah. My so, final thought on this is I'm gonna stick with the show. I'm gonna see where this is going. I'm intrigued enough. I'm not sure I caught everything in the pilot because I did get into that state of checking my Twitter every now and then. Um, mm -hmm. So suddenly things happen where I'm like, oh, uh, how did we get here? I don't know, but uh, I still could follow it. And yeah. It's intriguing. I'm intrigued. And I'm not sure to what degree it matters. It might be good beach viewing, but it sounds like in a couple of weeks we'll get back. You'll have binged the whole thing. I have half an episode left to watch and then see if I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> when we, that'll be the true test. You'll just finish it and see if I'm thinking about it still. Cool beans. All right, I got to get back to the beach.
<laughs> and we have to get back to the bay so you can get to the beach. And thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you had a great 4th of July. We should have said that last week. We hope it was a good weekend. And if you like what you're hearing, let a friend know. If you're watching this show, if you're wondering what the heck's going on, let us know. You can comment on Sven's Twitter. Where, Sven? At this guy edits. And we might miss the conversation entirely. We might be a little bit late on this. We were hoping to start the convo, but it might already have it might already have passed like a wave on the Hawaiian beach. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the music at the end, we're going to do one more original track from the new album here. But if you like what you're hearing, you can tr- track down Curtis Music, curtismusic.com. He also has a Bandcamp page. He's also on iTunes, everywhere you listen to music. You can follow him on Spotify as well, etc., etc., etc. And as Sven always says... Happy editing. They're saying I should cash my seeds in the beanstalk bubble pop Who even needs them turn my back to a wee bit of wind Chase a sloping gradient of security again Am I waiting like a sperm in the crevice of a bin For an entity shaped hand to slip in Or am I fishing on a barbed hook twitching vertigo Looking for the seafloor Like is this what screensavers prepared me for? Loved you for cigarettes, loved you for alcohol Carry my heart in plastic sack to the shopping mall We could take an Uber or we could just crawl Don't be self-conscious, no one sees you at all Even when you stumble, maybe even when you fall Miss my grandma, miss my uncle, miss my friend, miss my cat Journey of a thinker is to hell but never back Path of a writer, unseen breadcrumb track Here to disappear like it were cards beneath the thumbtack On the poster board, at your workplace We've all had a moment looking at our own face Make it danceable again Just so it doesn't seem like it's about my life You know what I mean? The Rinse out my privilege life Thought to prove to you that I'm not soft Ten thousand years behind how white men scoffs It'll take more than bony art to wipe that expression off Workers dance around the bar like they're free of something Do back to job like a Cinderella pumpkin Walking around my hometown with one glass shoe Like I really fucking miss you I really fucking do I really, really miss you I really fucking do Let me
really fucking do. Like, I really, really miss you. I really fucking do. All these little pieces. Full voicemail, inbox, seven threads, digital photos, knickknacks, disembodied engagement clicks, shoelaces, the smell of clothing, thrift store high hats. I stalinize my sock collection. My heart looks lovely with the sky scraping view. had the director walk in during the recording so i'm gonna cut the short thank you take care man bye all right sorry wir haben zwei episoden aufgenommen